0: Smells Jesus y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways, but now spoken by son. Welcome to Smells Jesus a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we're finishing our series, The Gospel According to Moses. Matt Waldron will be speaking to us from Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8 to 13. There is one big plan. Here is Matt. Okay, the Bible is one big true story. Excellent. And that's really important. That's something we go on about a lot. This year in Kids Church Kids, you're going to be doing the one big true story of the Bible again. And some of you who are getting older and this is the third time you're going to be going through the whole story of the Bible might be thinking, Do I need to do this again? I know it already. Yes, you need to do it again. It's so important. Let me tell you a story about three brothers. Three brothers who decided to sail around the world in their sailing boat. And unfortunately, there was a huge storm that swept them uh, into kind of wrecking their boat, and they got stranded on an island in the middle of the ocean. And the first brother said, well, we said before we started, whatever happens, just keep going west. I don't know if that's the way you go around the world. But anyway, so I'm just going to start swimming. The first brother had no plan. The second brother said, well, oh gosh, there's lots of things that need doing. We probably need to eat all the food we can find. We probably need to not eat all the food for the farm we find so we can plant and grow more food. And at some point, I'll probably need to eat the two of you." The second brother had a number of plans. The third brother said, calm down. Before we set sail, our parents, remember, made us go on a survival training weekend, and they taught us. Step one, assess if you're staying or going. We should stay because there's lots of plant life here. It's a fertile place. Step two secure drinking water. Step three, obtain shelter. Step four, obtain food. Step five, make a signal. That's the plan. Let's go. The third brother had a plan. Now, some people look at all the different stories in the Bible and see that they've all got something in common. And they say, well, God doesn't really have a plan. He's like the first brother. He just does the same thing all the time. There's no steps. He just always does the same thing. But the first brother, just swimming, that doesn't always work. If you think God doesn't have a plan, then when things go wrong in your life, you could think, well, will God's method work here? Some people look at all the different stories in the Bible and notice that they are all different. There are some pretty big differences. And they think, well, God must have a number of different plans. The problem then is, when something's difficult in your life, you're not sure which plan God's going to do. And that can be quite confusing. But actually, the Bible tells us itself that God has one big plan. and he's been working it out from the beginning, He will work it out to the end. The Bible, the reason it's important that the Bible is one big, one big, true story is because it's the way we learn God has one big plan. So we see that in Isaiah chapter 46, verses eight to 10. God is speaking to his people. and He says, remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Now, what he says there is, Remember the story. Remember the big story of what I've been doing so that you'll remember that I have one big plan. So verse 9, remember the former things, those of long ago. What kind of former things is he talking about? What kind of old things is he talking about? And then he says, I am God and there is no other. Does he rem- but does he mean, remember I used to be the only God and now there are some others? No, of course he doesn't mean that. He remember, remember the stories of how I have been working in the world. Remember the one big true story that shows that I am the one true God. Now, in my Bible, the book of Isaiah is a bit more than halfway through. So I guess they had a bit more than half of the one big true story that we have for them to remember. We've got more to remember now. Well, that's fantastic. We've got more of the one big true story. But we need to remember it for the same reason. Verse 10, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. Right? God knows how things are going to end. And from the very beginning, He's been working His plan for how things are going to end, how He wants things to end. And look at the rest of verse 10. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. A really important thing we learn from the one big true story is that God has one big plan and he is making it happen. God does what he wants to do. So as we experience things in life, we need to know there's one big plan. One of the main uh, issues that Isaiah goes on and on about to the people in his day is that they keep making plans that don't fit with God's plan. And God is going to make his plan happen. So if you make your plan in a way that doesn't fit with God's plan, your plan is not going to happen because God is going to make sure his plan happens. So we don't need to be like the first two brothers in the story on the island who have uh, kind of some idea of what they want to do, but they don't know how to deal with things going wrong. Or they have lots of ideas, but they can't decide which one to do. We need to know what God's plan is and make our plans fit in with God's plan. Well, what is God's plan? And why does God even want to have a plan? If God can do whatever he likes, why doesn't he just make everything good right now, snap his fingers? Well, there's two big answers to those questions in verses 11 to 13. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far-off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel." Well, let me suggest there's two things that that tells us about God's big plan. The first one is God's big plan is to bring good from bad things. To bring good from bad things. Now, this passage uh, describes this very briefly, but if you read the rest of the book of Isaiah, which is only, what, 66 chapters long, uh, you'll get the picture. No, you don't have to read the whole lot. But, But if you read the few chapters around here, just a couple of chapters either side, Uh, He says, From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What's he talking about? So this prophecy is addressing the situation where God's people had been uh, conquered and taken off into captivity in the land of Babylon. So all the things that God had promised them as God's people, a special place to live in a relationship with God, through the temple, uh, a special king to lead them, all that stuff, was gone. And so it felt like God's plan for his people had ended. But God says, no, no. Remember the stories of old. I've always been running things. I've always been running my plan. This is my plan. And so now he's promising to rescue them out of captivity. And how is he planning to do that? He's going to bring a man from a far-off land to fulfill his purpose. Oh, sorry, down in verse 13, the end of this chapter, it says, I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendid Israel. So that's the clear reference to restoring the people from captivity to their land and restoring what they expect to be the plan. And he's going to do that, though, in a surprising way. Rather than just raising up one of them to be a leader or something like that, Verse 11 says, "From the east, I summon a bird of prey." Now, there are lots of images in the Bible to describe leaders, right? So, uh, for example, some leaders are described as uh, being like a cow, able to really work hard and help plow the field and help there to be lots of food. That's a nice image of a leader, perhaps unless you're the leader. But uh, some leaders are described as Uh, Being like horses, which back in those days, horses were really good for war, so very strong and tough. This leader is described as being like a bird of prey. Now, if you want to know what that image is about, imagine the people who are in captivity feel like they're just mice, and they get told they're going to be rescued by a leader who is like a bird of prey. That's not a good image. That's an image that says this leader is so powerful, he just swoops in and takes what he wants. That's what kind of leader he is. So this leader is not a good leader, I mean, in the sense of being a good person, in terms of doing what's right, treating people fairly, wanting what's good for other people. He's not that kind of a leader. He's a leader who comes in and has the power and the desire to just get what he wants, But God is going to use that kind of leader to come and rescue the people. And if you read the chapters either side, you see what God is planning, what God is promising, is that he's going to bring Cyrus, the king of Persia, to conquer Babylon. And in order to be, because he's the enemy of their enemies, he's going to save them. Did that work out right? Yeah. So because he sees Babylon as his big competitor... He's going to do bad to them, and that's going to be good for all the people that Babylon had conquered, including God's people. So, God is going to bring something good, rescuing his people from captivity, out of something bad, this selfish, arrogant, conquering human king. And that is God's usual plan to bring good out of bad. You might, a lot of the kids know the story of. Um, my mind has just gone blank. That's unfortunate. Joseph, the story of Joseph, whose older brothers sold him into slavery. And then as a slave, his, the, the wife of his master mistreated him and framed him and got him thrown in prison. All these terrible things happened to him. How could God let that happen? Well, while he was in prison, he was able to meet the cupbearer of the king, who was able to find out that God gave Joseph the ability to interpret dreams so that when the whole of the land, Egypt and all the surrounding nations, was facing a famine, God used Joseph to show the king what to do. And so then later when Joseph's brothers came looking for food, because Joseph was the only one who knew what to do, because God showed him, uh, they, they said, you know, please don't kill us. And Joseph said... You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God didn't just stop you from doing the bad thing. God used that bad thing to bring a good thing out of it. Now, why does that have to be a process? Why does that have to be a story? Why does that have to be a plan? Why can't God just snap his fingers? Well, imagine that the brothers went and sold their little brother, Joseph, into slavery. And the immediate consequence of that was it started raining food that would not be bringing good out of bad things. That would just be messing up the whole of how the world works. right? We would no longer have meaningful actions that we can take. So God has to have a plan. He has to have step-by-step ways of us actually taking action that is actually taken seriously, but then bringing something good out of it. Well, the other reason that God has a big plan that goes step-by-step and the other thing that he's doing is he's giving good to bad people. You see that in the middle of these verses, uh, verses 12 and 13. Listen to me, you stubborn hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away and my salvation will not be delayed so the way this this kind of passage flows poetically verse 11 he says he's bringing a person from the east from a far off land to fulfill his purpose and the people could think well get someone closer so it goes quicker (laughs) why does it have to be such a long process why do there have to be so many steps in this plan come on god just get it done verse 12 says, listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. This is the kind of way Isaiah refers repeatedly to God's people through his book. He keeps saying to them, you know, you see the other nations who are rebels, the other nations who are foolish, the other nations who are stubborn the other nations who are far from God. That was the way they thought about those people. And he says, look in your own heart. You might not look like that on the outside, but on the inside, you are the same. You're stubborn. You do things that are foolish. You rebel against God. And so you are far from God's righteousness. But what has God done? plan to do? What is God pleased to do? Verse 13 I am bringing my righteousness near. God is bringing his righteousness near to those who are far from his righteousness. In other words, God is going to give good things fairly to bad people, to people who don't deserve it. That's what it means to bring righteousness near to those who are far from unrighteousness. It means he's got to give them good things because that's good, but he's got to do it fairly because otherwise he wouldn't be good. You can't just give good things to bad people and then say, everything's good now. If you just give good things to all the bad people, then what, will they just keep doing bad things? Will they know that they've done bad things? When your brother or your sister does something naughty to you and you feel like you want to hit them or you feel like you don't want to live in the same house with them anymore, what needs to happen for you to give good things to them? What do you want to happen? Well, you want them to say that they're sorry. You want to see that they're upset that they've done a bad thing to you. You want to have some kind of idea that they're not going to do it again or they're going to try not to do it again. You can't just keep giving them good things. Something, there needs to be some steps. And so because God's plan is to give good to bad people, he's got a plan for that. There's a story of describing how he does that. So there you go. The Bible is one big true story. That's important because it's how we learn that there is one big plan. It's important there's one big plan. There has to be one big plan. In order for God to bring good from bad things and in order for God to give good to bad people. So what difference does that make this week? Well, it means that when things go wrong, when we feel sad or scared, we can remember. You know, this is all part of God's big plan. God brings good things out of bad things. When we feel mad at someone for what they've done to us, when we feel bad about something we've done, we can remember. This is all part of God's big plan. God gives good to bad people. Let me pray heavenly father when we feel sad or scared help us to remember your big plan to bring good out of bad things and when we feel mad or bad help us to remember your big plan to give good to bad people we pray in jesus name amen